Amen. I want to start here. This is a quote by R.T. Kendall. He says, There has been a silent divorce in the church, speaking generally between the word and the spirit. When there is a divorce, sometimes the children stay with the mother, sometimes with the father. In this divorce, you have those on the word side and those on the spirit side. What is the difference? Those on the word side stress earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, expository preaching, sound theology, rediscovering the doctrines of the Reformation, justification by faith, sovereignty of God. Until we get back to the word, the honor of God's name will not be restored. What is wrong with this? emphasis nothing it is exactly right in my opinion those on the spirit side now stress getting back to the book of acts signs wonders and miracles gifts of the spirit with places being shaken at prayer meetings get in peter's shadow and you're healed lie to the holy spirit and you're struck dead until we recover the power of the spirit the honor of god's name will not be restored what is wrong with this emphasis nothing it is exactly right in my opinion. The problem is neither will learn from the other. But if these two would come together, the simultaneous combination would mean spontaneous combustion and the world would be turned upside down again. Amen. And so today we are going to dive into the gifts of the Spirit or the manifestation of the Spirit. Uh, this is a word that uh, I actually haven't preached in four years and uh, I've learned a lot since then so i'm really excited i think this is a topic that a lot of us maybe have no clue what it's about raise your hand if you've never heard a sermon on the gifts of the holy spirit can you raise your hand be, be just bold okay amazing we're glad you're here uh my desire this morning is to bring clarity uh to just show you what the word says uh my desire is that we would be a church that operates in spirit and in truth uh, that we won't be in a, a church that is divorcing the word from the spirit or the spirit from the word. And I believe that this is a, a teaching that is so, so crucial. I believe that we are living in a day and age where this generation is hungry for the real thing. And here's something I want to say. I said this last week. You know, there's camps, there's a, there's a camp of, of beliefs or belief system that believes that God doesn't move anymore, that God doesn't speak after the book of Acts, after Paul's letters, you know, the canons close and God doesn't move anymore. And I want to say to that is I think every one of us can agree that when we experience attack from the enemy, it's because he speaks lies, correct? So what that means, and I feel like it doesn't matter what denomination, it doesn't matter where you come from, every one of us can agree the enemy can attack us by speaking lies to us, which in turn means every Christian pretty much believes that the enemy has a voice. We all watch horror movies. We've seen it. If you did, we'll pray for you in the back. But all of us can agree to an extent that the enemy still moves. The enemy still oppresses and possesses and attacks and breathes death. But for some reason, we don't believe that God does that anymore. God doesn't move anymore. God doesn't speak anymore. God doesn't bring power. God doesn't bring healing. What's happened is the enemy, <laughs> if the enemy can diminish the person, hear what I'm saying, the person of the spirit, he'll diminish the power of the church. If he can diminish the person of the spirit, he's actually getting glorified. Because he's actually getting emphasized. Right, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord isn't, there is bondage. So Matthew 4, 23, before we dive into the gifts, I wanna paint a picture of why this is important. Matthew 4, 23 says this, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. The word kingdom means wherever God rules and reigns. It's the king's domain, right? Kingdom. That Jesus came to teach the gospel of the kingdom, but also to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. 
A lot of us have an understanding of the gospel of salvation, which is a part of it. But if you read throughout Jesus' ministry, he actually preaches the gospel of the kingdom. Within it contains freedom and empowerment here and now. Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he would demonstrate it. People would get healed. People who were oppressed would be set free. Mark 16, 17, 18 says this, and these signs, this is Jesus talking, these signs, these things that I'm doing will accompany those who believe in my name. Raise your hand if you believe in his name. It says this, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. This is Jesus, this isn't Paul. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, which we're about to do in a second. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Guys, that was like one church in West Virginia that did that. Let's move on. Um, they will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Listen, it says this. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Who is they? You. Who is they? You. Jesus is saying the ministry that he is doing, the power to further that kingdom will continue with those who believe that they will cast out demons, speak in new tongues, experience miracles, and see people get healed. 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but what? Of what? Of what? That God's kingdom is not just something that can be expanded by talking about it. It's expanded by demonstrating its power. That the church in Acts grew through preaching, but also through power. That I think we've become experts in the West in preaching, yet our churches lack the power of the Holy Spirit, but not this church, not here, that we will preach the good news and we will declare it. We also want his spirit to demonstrate his kingdom. Amen. Second Timothy 1.7 says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of what? Power, love, and self discipline, that we're not given the spirit to be people who operate in fear or timidity, but operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, motivated in love and live life submitted to his ways. The reason we can walk in power, listen, and further the kingdom is because we have the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about how we can know the voice of God because we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that I have so much that I want to tell you. But he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into everything else that I have to say. The Holy Spirit continues the conversation. The Holy Spirit continues his ministry. Oh, that was so fire. You guys didn't get that. The Holy Spirit continues the conversation and the Holy Spirit continues his ministry. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive what? power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That Jesus says we will receive power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Rick Joyner, he says this, he says, the reason the church emerged in the book of Acts as a force that could so change the world was because God was among them. That encounters with him day by day, he was their message and he did great works among them. John 14, 12 it says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. So let that sit in. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is saying you're not gonna do greater things in substance, but in reach. Please, speaking to the church today, 
Whoever believes in me, raise your hand if you believe in him, then you've received the Holy Spirit who continues his ministry through you. John Bevere, he says this, but we will never advance this heavenly cause if we do not rely on the power of the Spirit. That Jesus needed the Spirit's power, what makes us any different? No, Jesus did not start his ministry until he was filled with the Spirit. And I would beg to say, if you're called to ministry, don't do ministry until you're operating in the spirit. That's when people get hurt. That's when we try to build what we wanna build. That's when we build structures that glorify our platform and not his. So let's dive into this, we got a lot to cover. That in the New Testament, there are several different gifts that are mentioned for the church that fit within three categories. The first category is ministry gifts, and we see this in Ephesians 4. Uh, these are the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. These are leadership gifts to equip and mature the body. But every single person in this room, if you are a Christian, you operate in one of these or more. That an apostle is the one that started the church. They're, they're usually the entrepreneurial people. They're, they're ones who are pioneering something, starting something. Prophets are the ones that are giving uh, words from the Lord that are giving direction to the church. Evangelists are those who are going out into the streets and bringing people in. Everyone's called to evangelize, but certain people are given the office or grace of evangelists. There's pastors who are called to shepherd the flock, and there are teachers who are called to teach the word. This is a fun fact. Not all pastors are teachers and all teachers are pastors. So if you wanted your, your, your teacher who is teaching on our stage to be pastoral, he may not be pastoral. Why wasn't he nice to me? Well, he's, he's not really pastoral. Well, why, why is my pastor not good at teaching? Well, he's not really a teacher. All right. The second is motivation gifts. We see this in Romans 12. Uh, this is prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, and mercy. Now, these are serving gifts that we're motivated to do for others. That you can look around this church, we see people who have gifts of encouragement, gifts of giving, gifts of serving, gifts of teaching, gifts of leadership, gifts of mercy, gifts of prophecy, right? These are serving gifts that we're motivated to do for others. And the third category is manifestation gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, this is what we commonly see when someone talks about the gifts of the Spirit, right? Is the manifestation gifts. This is word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. That these are supernatural gifts that demonstrate the presence and power of God. That the power of the Spirit is released through the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. I'm gonna say that again. The power of the Spirit is released through the manifestation gifts of the Spirit. So this is what we're going to dive into today. This is not to negate the other gifts, but Paul outlines these nine very specifically. I think these are the nine that there's the most controversy, most confusion. Uh, there's not a lot of understanding. Uh, and I believe these are the gifts that the church needs to be awakened to. Uh, but before that, uh, I want to address two groups of people in the room. First is to those who come from or still in a belief that the gifts and power of the Spirit have ceased. To that, I would argue that if we don't believe the fruit of the Spirit have ceased, why would we believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased? If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then so is the Father and so is the Spirit. That the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead dwells within you, continuing the ministry that Jesus started. And the second group I want to address is those who have been in a spirit-filled environment but have seen the Holy Spirit misrepresented and have experienced the gifts in a forceful or manipulative way. To that, I want to say I'm sorry. 
that the Holy Spirit is not controlling and manipulative. And I pray that this church will be a place for you to know and experience the Holy Spirit in a healthy, genuine, and powerful way. But I also want to state that just because we see misuse of the gifts, it doesn't mean we settle for no use of the gifts. Just because we see misuse of the gifts, it doesn't mean we settle for no use. And I think this is commonly most people's experiences is we've been in Pentecostal circles or we've been prayed over by someone and it just made us uncomfortable and it was weird and you're like, I didn't like that. Like that was just kind of off. So what we do is we kind of just shelf the Holy Spirit. Just because you get food poisoning at a Mexican restaurant doesn't mean you stop eating Mexican food. That was deeply spiritual. But guys, this is what we do. That's uncomfortable. That's mysterious. I don't fully understand that, even though scripture is very clear that it exists and there's actually enough scriptures to make it very clear of how they function. But we don't want to deal with it. Scripture says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. This is not a suggestion. The word quench translates to extinguish. Another root word of the the word quench means to suck the air out, to suffocate. Don't extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit because we need his fire. We need his fire to purify us because you can't get holy by yourself. Hello. You can't get sanctified by yourself. Some of us think sanctification is like this passive process. Like I'll just do whatever I want. I'll follow Jesus however I want. I'm just getting sanctified. That you can't get holy accidentally. You can't get sanctified accidentally. You need the Holy Spirit. You can't walk in power accidentally. You need the Holy Spirit. So you guys ready to jump in? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to read verse 1 to 11. And Paul says this, he says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be informed, uninformed. The church needs to hear that. About the gifts of the Spirit, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, he's talking to the church of Corinth, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Verse four, there are different kinds of spirits, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message or word of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, who wants that gift? To another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. And all these are the work of one in the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Did anyone read that and be like, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know that's what I signed up for. My desire, and I believe is actually a call in our church, is to, to make the Holy Spirit normal. Because this was normal for Acts. It was so normal that Paul's like, I need to correct kind of how you're doing this because it was just a normal function. He wasn't weird about it. It was like, here's some order. This is how it works. This is how we should do it. And I think we, we get like uncomfortable with the fact that we don't know everything. Guys, 
do you understand how supernatural and mystical and weird Christianity is? You believe in a Jewish man who lived a perfect life, who came from God, who is God, who died, who came back to life, and through that, died for your sins. And the gifts are weird. <laughs> Paul says, you started with the Spirit, why are you now operating in the flesh? You were born of the Spirit, well, why are you now thinking that it's not going to keep functioning by the Spirit? Your faith was authored by the Spirit. Why, why do you think now it's just, you're just going to know how to do everything by yourself, and if you don't know it, it's not God? So in 1 Corinthians 12, there's five points that we see here before we break down the nine. The first is that what comes from the Spirit is always for the purpose of exalting Jesus, including the gifts. This is in verse three. Right? The Spirit says that my purpose is to glorify Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't want the attention. He wants Jesus to have the focus. I love that. The second thing is that these gifts have different functionalities, which we're about to see. Verse four to six. The third point is that when the gifts are operating, it is God at work through us. The gifts aren't a superpower. When someone gets, when you pray for healing and someone gets healed, you're not healing them. It's the Holy Spirit through you. And I think that's what freaks people out is like, like people can have that level of authority. Well, it's okay, it's not yours. It's his authority. The third thing is that the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. Guys, the gifts of the Spirit aren't to freak you out. The gifts of the Spirit aren't to put people on a pedestal. They're actually for the common good. The word common good is edification. It, it means to, to build a house. That the, the purpose of the gifts are to build the church. It's to edify the body. It's to evangelize the lost. It's for your good. God's not going to give you something and say it's good and turn his back. Like, ha ha, gotcha. Right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in who there is no shifting or shadow. Every good and perfect gift, including the manifestation of the Spirit, comes from the Father above. And in him, there's no shifting. He's not giving them to freak you out. It's actually for your good. The fifth one is that the spirit distributes these gifts as he chooses. All right, so to explain the nine gifts, we're gonna categorize them in three distinct functions, uh, which they are commonly divided in. So the first one, you guys ready? We're jumping right in, is gifts of revelation. Gifts of revelation, these gifts reveal something. These, these three gifts, I'm gonna divide each nine into three categories, so three each. So there's three gifts of revelation and their purpose is to reveal something. I wanna define this, the first is the word of wisdom, a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom is a supernatural provision of divine wisdom or right application of wisdom. It's the ability to know what to do or say in a specific situation. We see this in the life of Jesus in Mark 12, 5, 15 to 17. Jesus is being challenged and they bring him a coin. They're asking him about taxes and they say, should we pay or shouldn't we? These are Jews. Should we pay taxes to Rome or not? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He says, why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, get back to Caesar, what is Caesar's? And to God, what is God? And they were amazed at him. Now, Jesus had wisdom, he had the gift of wisdom operating that allowed him to have supernatural wisdom for a specific situation. Here's an example, I've shared this a lot. Uh, my mentor, Lyle, when we, when we were, before we were at, Levita, we're in a season where we're pretty much ready to close shop. We're like 20 people in the church. We're meeting at nighttime because we thought that was cool. And we're just doing it, but our church was just dying. No one wanted to come to a night church. Families, you know, just not realistic. But we thought we're doing something new, right? 
And I was just like, Lyle, I don't understand. We have like the perfect leadership team. We have a great location. We can fit a lot of people, but our church is shrinking. And I just don't even know, like none of this makes sense. And Lyle has the supernatural gift of wisdom. <laughs> Every time I have a situation, he has the gift of wisdom. And he was like, here's what you guys need to do. You need to move to morning service. And it sounds so practical, but even in my own conscience, that wasn't an option. Like I, I already deleted that option. No, we're night service. This is what we're doing. And he's like, this is what you need to do. You need to move to morning service. Realistically, American Christians just know church is Sunday mornings. And there's something in my spirit that felt the presence of God when he said that. I was like, okay, the Lord is on that. I'm going to do it. We did it. Our church tripled. We did it. Our finances tripled. It's just two years ago. That's what led into us moving into Levita. So that is a word of wisdom. The second is a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of facts or information, past or present, which you didn't know before. We see this in the life of Jesus in John 4, 16 to 18. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. All right, Jesus read her mail. He had a word of knowledge. He knew information or facts, past or present. An example of this, when I was uh, doing ministry in Vegas and we would do outreach nonstop, one of our ministry partners, we would just go and we'd evangelize and we would go on the strip. If you know Vegas, it's, it's just not good. Just a lot of sin and a lot of debauchery. It's just not good. And uh, we would just go all over Vegas. We'd see, pray over people who are overdosing and we would see kids who are just in parks because they don't have any parents. They have lice in their hair. It was just intense. This is where we're doing ministry. And during our summer, one of our uh, uh, leaders, her name was Christina Turner, and she went into, uh, I think it was a Best Buy or something, and they went to just pray for people. And they saw this person who was like installing one of those TVs. And she immediately got a word of knowledge. She got a picture, and in her mind, she saw a picture of a jewel in a safe. That's all she got. Just praying, God, can you give me something so I can talk to this person about Jesus? She got a picture of a jewel within a safe. Super random. She goes up to this person. She says, hey, um, I follow Jesus. I, 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 I'm practicing here for the Lord. And I feel like the Lord gave me this picture for you of a jewel in a, in, in a safe. Does this mean anything to you? The person immediately starts weeping. Starts weeping. Like, you don't know. My brother, we used to call him our jewel. And recently he went into our parents' safe and took the gun and killed himself. And because of that moment, she was able to have an encounter with Jesus because she realized God saw her. The inmost information that no one would know was revealed to Christina. And that led an open door to share the gospel. The third is the discernment of spirits. The discernment of spirits. The sermon of spirits is an ability or spiritual sense to know what is motivating a person or situation, knowing if its source is from the Holy Spirit or demonic spirits. Here's an interesting story in Acts, Acts 16. Acts 16, 16 to 18. It says this, once when we're going to a place of prayer, we're met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She had earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. So she had a demonic spirit that gave her the ability to predict the future. You can work that out yourself. So she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul came, became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of here. And at that, that moment, the spirit left her. 
Has anyone ever read that passage? All right, good. And what's so interesting in this passage is this girl is demonized by spirit, but actually has supernatural ability. So when you see people messing with new age stuff, maybe you've done that, you're messing with a real thing. You're messing with something that has power. This is, this is why people do it. This is why people practice these things because they're hungry for something real. They're hungry for something tangible. They're, they're hungry for something spiritual and supernatural. But in the church, we said, no, that doesn't exist. But it exists in the demonic realm, just not in the, not in the spirit, not in the church. We don't talk about that here. But the devil is working. Not here. Over there, he can work. Not here. I don't think there's a belief system that, like, demonic cessationism. Like, I don't think that's a thing. Like, <laughs> demons have ceased. I don't know anyone. I don't think that's a thing. But in this moment, and it's interesting, because Paul is talking to this girl, and, and she's following him around. And she's actually saying not an incorrect thing. She's saying... These men are servant of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she wasn't saying like something that was very obvious and wrong. She wasn't saying, hey, these guys are, you know, murderers. Don't listen to them. She was saying a right thing, listen, but in a wrong spirit. Guys, we need the gift of discernment. Because we'll hear people saying the right thing, but in the wrong spirit. And if they're saying things in the wrong spirit, what sounds like the right thing isn't the right thing. Oh yeah, you should date that person, they seem great. Oh yeah, you should do that thing. It might sound like the right thing, but it's the wrong spirit. But almost every Sunday at church, our prayer team, me, we're engaging with what is happening in the spiritual realm in this room. Who knows that he is enthroned upon the praises of his people. So where there is praise happening, God is enthroned. When God is enthroned, principalities and evil spirits don't like that. Because their throne is being dethroned when there's praise. So what happens almost every Sunday, our prayer team, even during service, if you ever see me on my phone, this is probably what I'm doing. We're texting, because we're like, this is what we're sensing. We need to start praying. That there's different things that people come in with or that's been prayed against breakthrough. We've been protested before. Um, we've been you know, canceled on the internet. We've been called a cult, all of the above, just because we believe in the Holy Spirit. But we need to have discernment of spirits so we know how to deal with them. Let me give you an example. It was a very, very simple example, but very profound. I was walking in the woods with my son, August. He's, he's three and a half. And we're at this park. We, we walked in this woods and immediately had a bad feeling. I was like, something sketchy in this woods. Like my discernment was going off, whether something demonic's happened there recently or there's something's happened or something's about to happen. Something went off and I was like, this is off spiritually. I don't feel good. Let's leave. So I, I, I walk out the woods with August, three and a half, and we're just walking. And he doesn't even look at me. He's walking past me. He's like, Papa, I don't feel good. He just keeps walking. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. come here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that? He says, Papa, I don't feel good. I was like, like, you don't feel good like in your body or like, like your heart doesn't feel good. He's like, my heart doesn't feel good. I was like, okay, let's pray. Holy Spirit. There's anything that woods, anything spiritual that's trying to attack us, pray right now that it just be removed. I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel better. Parents, you need to operate in the gifts. Guys, these, these aren't just for like a cool church experience. This is for your life. This is for your family. I, my wife gives me prophetic words almost every week, because I need to hear them, <laughs> right? We, we need the gifts. It says it's for the common good. It's not to have a show. Yeah. 
It's not to, you know, have like a circus. It's for the common good. You need to operate in the gifts of the Spirit if you're stepping in ministry. I've known so many people who've went into the mission field. And over there, the spirit realm is real. Like, you, ain't, you can't hide it. The stuff there is crazy. Here it's so suppressed. It, it, we're not as, it's not as obvious to us. It's still here. Over there, it's so obvious. And so what happens is Christians go overseas, and they're experiencing all this stuff because they're not equipped with the authority that they actually carry the further the kingdom. That they've actually been given gifts to dethrone those things and to further his kingdom. But what happens is we're just teaching the kingdom, which is so good. We need that. But we're not just fighting against bad belief systems. We're not just fighting against bad theology in Africa. Most places, if you go overseas, don't even have a theology. And so what happens is we go and we're not equipped that there's a spiritual realm and there's sick people that, that need to be healed and there's an open door to, to spread the gospel, but I can't do it in my natural means. Well, that's why we need the supernatural manifestations of the spirit. Yeah. And we go overseas and we try to do all these things in our own strength. What happens is we get burned. We need the gifts. So again, the gifts of revelation is words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and the discernment of spirits. You ready for the next category? The gifts of power. So these gifts do something. The gifts of revelation reveal something, whereas the gifts of power do something. The first is the gift of faith. This is different than saving faith, right? You're saved by grace through faith. Paul outlines there's actually a gift of faith. A gift of faith is a sudden surge of confidence or trust to help in a crisis to confidently believe regardless of the current situation. Matthew 8, 23 to 26. We see this in Jesus. When he got into the boat and his disciples followed him, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. So the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Everything was chaos around him, but Jesus had a confidence. Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. That the gift of faith almost always precedes a miracle. When you are contending in faith, and there's this, there's this surge of confidence, whether you're in a moment of crisis, whether you're in a situation that's difficult, that you can operate and have the gift of faith that allows you to have confident trust, and that almost often precedes a miracle. Here's an example in my own life. That when I graduated from college, we were planting breakthrough while I was still in college. Graduated from college, I was like, Lord, like, I know you're calling me to do ministry, but I, I know that I can't work a nine to five and do this at the same time. I, I just know it's not possible. And I know you're breathing on breakthrough, so I, I don't know what to do. The thing you do in Lynchburg after you graduate is just get a job at Liberty. If you're doing that, no shade whatsoever. But that's just the thing you do, right? You just get a job at Liberty. And I was just like, I had assurance that's not what I'm supposed to do right now. Like it, it would contradict and come against the call that God has to plant this church. And so at this time, I was a graphic designer, uh, self-taught, didn't go to school for it, didn't have any training. And... At that time, I was making maybe like a grand a month. And at this time, I'm married, right? And you're married, a grand a month is not really realistic. And I was praying and, you know, post-wedding, post we're living off of our, our wedding money, just cruising, and it's slowly dwindling away. And I was like, I, I, I know I'm not, like, I keep trying to apply for jobs. The Lord keeps telling me no. I keep wanting to put applications in. The Lord's like, not there, not there. So I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
what am I supposed to do that I can still do breakthrough? And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, Andrew, I want you to step into full-time design. I was like, there's no way. I was like, I, I didn't go to school for this. I'm making maybe $1,000 a month. I have a wife now. We got to pay rent. And the Lord's like, I want you to step into full-time design, and I'm going to breathe on it. So I was like, okay, babe. Um, so I got wisdom from the Lord. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to be a full-time artist. <laughs> That's literally how it went. We're at a Mexican restaurant. And thankfully, my, my wife is amazing. She trusted me. She's like, I mean, I don't know how, but like, if that's what you think we're going to do, we're going to do it. And within the course of three months, I went into full-time freelance, working my own hours. And from there, the Lord blessed it, started working with artists from around the world, different companies from around the world. And all that to now, now I work for Bethel full-time. And the Lord has just breathed on it and blessed on it. And in that moment, there was this assurance. I was like, babe, this makes no sense. I have no clue how this is going to happen. But the Lord was very clear. And the gift of faith was operating. Because what, what would happen if the gift of faith didn't operate is I could have just veered God's plan. I could have said, you know what? Nothing's coming in. It's three months. Our money's dwindling. I'm just going to get a job at Liberty. I, I'm just going to go be a barista. I'm just going to go do this. But God's like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. And the gift of faith preceded the miracle. All right, the second is healing. Healing. Healing is the gift to supernaturally bring a cure to someone who is sick physically, spiritually, or emotionally. Acts 9, 34 to 35 says this, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. That because this person was healed, because the gift was operating, it led into salvation. Uh, here's a story. Um, my wife, uh, she had terrible arthritis since she was young. Even as a kid, if it was raining outside, her bones would start to just tense up. I remember when we were dating, we would go hiking and we could barely hike because her arthritis in her knees and her hands were so bad. And she was like in her 20s, like 20-year-olds shouldn't have arthritis. And one day we we're, we're had a service at Breakthrough, and we're meeting at a different space. And this guy was in the room who we were kind of borrowing the venue from. And out of nowhere, we're you know, worshiping, we have our message, we have ministry time. And out of nowhere, he says, is there anyone in the room that has arthritis? Obviously, my wife is like, I have arthritis. He prays for my wife. Babe, how long did you have arthritis for? Do you remember? Seven or eight years. Right, so probably since she was a teenager. And in that moment, I think my wife, from what I remember in the story, felt heat in her body where the arthritis was and got fully healed. Since then, has never had arthritis. We can hike mountains. Nothing affects it now. All right, so this is the gift of healing. The third is Miracles. Miracles are a remarkable moment that defies the known laws of nature. That Acts 29 to 10 it says, this, seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. Can you say Eutychus? If you want a cool Christian name for your kids, there you go, Eutychus. And Eutychus was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul was talking on and on. So as Paul was preaching, Eutychus sitting on a window, which, you know, that was already a bad move, and he fell asleep, and when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story, and he was picked up dead. What's the lesson? Don't sleep when I preach. <laughs> All right. Verse 10, Paul went down, and he threw himself on the young man and put his arm around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. He is alive. Guys, he's still moving. Marissa shared a testimony at team night. She was in LA and someone was strung out, right? He was overdosed. He overdosed and she went to him and he had no pulse. He had no pulse, which means he's not alive. And Marissa laid hands on him and prayed on him and <gasps> he had breath. Not a lot of amens for that. 
you're like, I don't know. You can talk to Marissa about it. Right? Healing still happens. Miracles still happen. Guys, if you go overseas and you, I mean, if you even just listen to any of the underground churches, I promise you, almost none of them are cessationist. If you were to put someone on an island and give them the Bible, no one would come up with that. It's there. Okay, here it is. Let's do it. When you look overseas, the spirit is operating. Why? Because there's so many barriers. And God wants to grab people, right? We know of stories, documented stories of Jesus showing up in visions and dreams to people who are Muslim. I heard of a story once where uh, someone was, I believe he was an ISIS. He was part of ISIS. You can literally look this video up online. He was an ISIS. And, you know, what, they, what did they do? They killed Christians. And one day he was just sitting and he hears a voice, says, I forgive you. And he says, who, who, who is he that forgives me? And he says, Jesus Christ. And he starts weeping. No one prayed for him. No one talked to him. And he received Jesus. You can, you can literally listen to this testimony online. So many document stories of the Lord encountering people like that around the world. So the third category is gifts of inspiration. Gifts of inspiration say something. So gifts of revelation reveal something. Gifts of power do something. Gifts of inspiration say something. Obviously, these are probably the most controversial ones out of the group. The rest, you're like, yeah, yeah, I can get on board for that. But when it comes to these gifts, we kind of freak out a little bit. All right, let's break it down. The first is prophecy. The, gri- the gift of prophecy is directly proclaiming the will and heart of God for the immediate or the future. Acts 11, 28 to 29, it says this, one of them named Agabus, I mean, Acts is just killing it with the names. Um, Agabus stood up through the spirit, predicted that a severe famine would spread across the entire Roman world. This is a Christian, by the way. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. If you weren't here last week, preach on the voice of the Spirit that covers a lot of this. So I encourage you to listen back to that. But when we talk about the gift of prophecy, people freak out because we think, they think that people are trying to add to Scripture. That's, that's not what it is. When someone's prophesying or someone's operating the gift of prophecy, they're not adding to Scripture, right? It's submitted to Scripture. But God is still speaking, and God is still speaking through it's people, right? We need to get the prophecy. Actually, if you keep reading, and we'll touch on this next week, Paul actually says prophecy is, is the best gift out of all of them. He says, I want you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. All right. This is a really cool story. Uh, actually, Isa during uh, worship one day, you know, she was leading worship, and as Isa does, out of nowhere, she, she starts singing, and she's like, someone's called or God is sending someone to North Africa. Like I had nothing to do with like, great are you Lord, right? Like just out of the blue, God is sending someone to North Africa. I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, you know, sweet, sweet Isa. And she just says that, but here, here's where it gets crazy is that day we had missionaries who, were, who we support as a church from North Africa. She didn't know they were in the room and that day, there was someone that actually went up to them and said, I've, I've been called to North Africa, and I didn't know how I was going to get there. And so now she, that person, I believe, is going to be going to North Africa with our missionaries. Because of a word of prophecy was spoken, right? Directly proclaiming the will and heart of God for the immediate or the future. The second one, all right, you ready? I know this is the one you're waiting for. You guys Ready? The gift of tongues. Say, should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. There you go. You got it. You got the gift. All right. 
So this gift, I want you to pay attention. We're going to go way in depth next Sunday. We're going to take a whole sermon on this because there's so much here. There's so much to cover. There's so much misunderstanding. But the gift of tongues is to speak a word for the church in a spiritual language also functions as a personal prayer language that is not understandable. So most people have often heard that the gift of tongues is speaking in another language. Have you heard that? That's correct. But that's actually an oversimplification of the gift. So if you want to know know more, come next Sunday, and I'll break that down and what that means. But let me show you. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. So when people say the gift of tongues is only speaking in a known language for the purpose of the gospel, well, then what does this mean? You just oversimplified tons of scripture that sound nothing like that. So it's for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. So it's not just a known language, right? No one understands them. They utter mysteries. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Here's a cool testimony of this. Uh, my friend, John Mark Pantana, a lot of you guys may know his music, but when his, his first album is called Mighty Grace, you listen to it, it's really great. It was recorded on an iPhone. Um, and in one of his songs, he, he starts speaking in tongues. And he's actually singing, singing in tongues, which Paul actually references that you can sing in the Spirit. But he starts singing in tongues this song. It's so good. You need to listen to it. I don't know which one it was, but it's on Mighty Grace album. And he gets an email from someone all the way in the Middle East. John Mark wasn't speaking a knowledgeable tongue. It was his, his personal praise, prayer language to the Lord. But someone who was overseas in the Middle East heard it and said, you're literally speaking my language. John Mark didn't know he was speaking that language. He probably wasn't even speaking that language. But the Holy Spirit revealed to that person what was happening. So John Mark was actually edifying himself. But as he was edifying himself, edified someone else. The third and last one is interpretation. You guys having fun? Is interpretation. Interpretation is the interpretation of someone speaking in a tongue in a corporate setting to build up the church. Okay, so whenever Paul referenced the, the gift of tongue or the operation of tongues, it's in a corporate setting is what he's addressing, right? He says, you know, don't speak in tongues two, two or three more in the church. If so, you need to be silent. You need an interpreter. You guys have all heard that. That's like our, everyone's like attack against tongues. You need an interpreter. But you don't really understand what, what Paul's trying to say. What Paul is saying is that in Corinth at this time, in a corporate church service, there's worship happening, and people would speak in, in, in a tongue, right? And they would utter in a mystery. And Paul's saying, we, we can't all be doing that because no one's understanding what's happening unless someone's interpreting it. So what he's saying is, if you're speaking in a tongue for people, it needs to be interpreted. But if you're speaking a tongue for yourself, it's for yourself. This is the confusion that we just be like, we oversimplify things because we just don't want to understand it and it's, there's mystery and we don't like mystery and we want to understand everything. Paul says we utter mysteries, right? Do you guys remember that verse two seconds ago? So the gift of tongues can be used in a corporate setting that is for the church But if it's for the church, it has to be interpreted. Otherwise, it's pointless. But if it's for yourself and you're edifying yourself, it's okay. All right. If you disagree, come next Sunday. Right, 1 Corinthians 14, 28. This is the verse I referenced. Paul says, but if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church. It's in the context of a corporate setting. And speak in tongues privately to God. That doesn't mean that you can't speak in tongues at church. He's saying you speak in tongues privately, right? Unless it's for the body. Here's a really cool example. You ready for this? Billy Graham. 
You guys know Billy Graham? Good old Billy. Billy Graham, amazing man of God, led thousands upon thousands to the Lord. I heard this story about him when he was starting his ministry, he had a, a smaller tent revival. And at this time, from what I, what I know of, he was kind of cessationist. He didn't believe the gifts operated, wasn't really for them. And he's preaching his sermon and he's, he, he gets near the end, but he's running out of time and he can't finish his sermon. If anyone has ever preached, it's like the worst thing. Happens here way too often. Um, but he's preaching his sermon and he's running out of time and so he can't finish his sermon. He can't finish his points. So he kind of just rushes it and he just kind of prays it and he's praying to close. And out of nowhere, the far left of the room, he just hears, shut up. He just hears someone just yelling in tongues. And in his mind, he's like, I need to shut this down. This is not biblical. This is how the story goes. On the other side of the room, someone yells out an interpretation of the tongue and finishes his sermon. Finishes all the things that he was trying to say that he didn't get to and interpreted that person's tongue. All right. So those are the nine gifts or manifestations of the spirit. You guys good? Guys, this is normal Christianity. There is mystery, you're gonna mess up. It's gonna be weird. But you believe in a Jewish person who died and rose from the dead. So we can be okay with not understanding everything. John Wimber, he says this, the gifts of the Spirit are not trophies, talents, traits, or toys. The gifts of the Spirit are God's supernatural expressions of love, caring, kindness, healing, and concern bestowed on us and through us. That we've, because we've not honored the Holy Spirit, and I, and I, made, this, I made this claim, please listen back to the rest of the series, that it all starts with the fact that Holy Spirit is a person. And why none of these flow is because we don't understand him as a person. If you're ever around me, one of the guys, I don't think he's here, that disciple, whenever I hear someone refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, I'm like, no, 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 he. Holy Spirit is not an it. Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's a person, right? He's a part of the Godhead. He's one of the Trinity. What happens is, just because you're in a spirit-filled environment, listen to this, just because you're in spirit-filled expression, it doesn't mean the person of the Holy Spirit is being honored. What happens is we have a lot of expressions. We have a lot of learned behaviors. I didn't share this, but part of my story is I grew up Presbyterian, never been in anything spirit-filled, never been in Pentecostal church, never been in charismatic church, counted the Holy Spirit in the bedroom, here we are now. But a lot of it is learned expression, learned behaviors, which aren't necessarily bad things, but the truth is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Spirit has to be honored, and if he's not honored, then the way that we operate in the gifts are not gonna be honoring. Let me say that again. If the person of the Spirit is not honored, then the way we operate in the gifts are not honoring. That we treat them like a superpower, our services look like a circus, right? We're forcing people, receive, lose your tongue, lose your tongue, lose your tongue. And we're, we're forcing the gifts when gifts aren't meant to be forced. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's not a gift if it's shoved down your throat. It's not a gift if your arm is stuck behind your back and you're like, speak in tongues. That's not a gift, that's a curse. But here's the thing, the gifts are still gifts. Can we say that? The gifts are still gifts. Right, the gifts are still good. The, the gifts are for the common good. And we need the gifts if we want to see God's rule and reign his kingdom here on this earth. I mean, we've seen... In church, testimonies of people getting healed, of salvation happening, of people, just like we shared, giving prophecies, words of knowledge, right? Who, raise your hand if your life has been changed by the gifts of the Spirit, whether in breakthrough or not. Look at the room. Right, God is still moving, guys. And so I wanna give 10 important facts about the gifts of the Spirit just to make sure I'm tying up any loose ends. 
the first thing is that operating the gifts does not make you a higher level Christian, right? That's garbage. The gifts are without repentance. You can operate in the gifts and have horrible character. This is why we see the gifts manipulated and abused is because they have horrible character. A gift is freely given. It's not dependent on you. The second says, wherever the gifts are operating, so is the power and presence of the Spirit. If someone is getting healed through you, it's because the Holy Spirit is healing them. The third, the gifts are freely given and not based on your ability or qualifications. The fourth is God will not control you into using gifts. They require your faith and will. This is the thing that so many people get stuck on is they think that they're just gonna sit in their chair and the Lord says you're gonna do this. Right, we think it's like this, like God just like takes over your will and your body and like you're like possessed and you're like talking. That's not how it happens. What happens is so many of us expect that to be the encounter and so we never experience the gifts. Right, it takes your faith how do you receive grace, right? The word gift, gifts of the spirit, gift is charis, which is the word we get charismatic from. Charis means grace. How do you receive grace? How do you receive grace? Faith. How do you receive the gifts? Faith. And they require your will, right? Whenever I give someone prophetic word, try to give someone prophetic word, I'm praying, Lord, would you just reveal, okay, this is what the Lord is saying. I'm gonna speak it out in the faith. I'm not waiting for the Lord to take over my mouth. Same thing with tongues. We'll get to that next week. The fifth, their purpose is to edify the body and to reach the unsaved. To edify the body and reach the unsaved. Number six is every Christian have these gifts whether they know it or not. Every single one of you. You have these gifts but they're just left unwrapped. Number seven, you can operate in more than one of these gifts. Number eight, no gift comes fully developed. We have to grow them by walking in faith. No one receives a gift, a prophecy, and everything is just spot on, right? You have to grow your gift. Number nine, the Holy Spirit determines which gift each person receives. This is where it gets interesting. So the end of 1 Corinthians 12, it says the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts as he wills, right? Up to his will, up to the Holy Spirit, who is a person, right? He has a mind, will, and emotions. Up to his will, he gives certain gifts to certain people based on what they need and what they need to do. However, point number 10, we're also told to eagerly desire them as a whole. So we end here, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. He throws that in. Follow the way of love and eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to hear this. The gifts are given as the Spirit wills them, but we're also told to desire and ask for them. Let me give you a practical example. As a father, I can choose to give my son something as I want, but how much more likely am I to give it to my son if he earnestly desires it from me? Same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give, give it as he wills, but you're also invited to desire them. God's not going to give you something you don't want. You have not, this is scripture, you have not because you ask not. Man, I want to see people get healed. Ask for it. I need to ask for it. More people need to get healed. I, I, man, I struggle with anxiety all the time. I need the gift of faith. Ask for it. Man, I, I, I feel so overwhelmed all the time. I need the gift of discernment of spirit so I know what's actually happening. You have not because you ask not. All right, let's stand. You guys okay? Was this helpful? Anyone freaked out? Good.
Can I have keys come up? Who here wants to receive the gifts of the Spirit? So I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would awaken us to this truth. Where's Kristen Tenori? Are you in the room? Can you come up here? She shared this uh, testimony during pre-service prayer that was super powerful. And I would just love for her to share it just, just really quick. Hi. I'm Kristen. Okay, thanks. <laughs> so um, I was, I've been a Christian my whole life. I accepted God when I was five, baptized when I was 10, grew up non-denom charismatic, but I never operated in the gifts. I didn't really know God like that. It was just I believed in Him. Um, when I was 21, I was at a youth camp and I was a leader. And I had this really intense encounter and I got my first word of knowledge ever. Um, and it changed my life because it was the door that opened me, it opened me up to friendship with God. And to this day, I'd give everything back to Him just to be His friend. And I just feel like some people in the room today you believe in God, but you don't know Him like this. And I believe the Lord wants to release these gifts to you, not because they're shiny and cool, but because they're the doorway to friendship with God. Can I pray for them? Okay. So Lord Jesus, right now, I just ask that you, you open every single heart, Lord, fertile soil this morning, God for everything you have. Open hands, Lord Jesus. You open hands so you can bestow on them every good and perfect gift that you have. That you guide them to yourself today, Lord, through these experiences so that they can learn different parts of your heart, Father God. They can know different parts of you today. That some people who believe in God today will know God after today. This will be a, a, a catalyst moment in Jesus' name. A catalyst moment in Jesus' name. And I just declare today that friends, friendship will be made. That there will be new friends today. Friendship with God in Jesus' name. respond to this.